We'll be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In the early centuries of the Christian faith, the gospel of Christ was spreading rapidly. Tertullian once made the statement, I think I mentioned in a previous week, about how the persecution actually helped the church, in that uh, Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, meaning the testimony that the Christians had in that that early time, even in persecution, just spurred on the spread of the gospel. But another statement Tertullian made was also that how the secular world saw these early believers, and it was, behold how these Christians love one another. Behold how these Christians love each other. I believe that's a statement I heard in Sunday school this morning that Pastor Netzer used to use, is that he hoped that uh, the community would say, behold how much the members of Lakeshore Bible Church love each other. And that's, of course, what we would want our testimony to be today. And does our testimony as Christians today, or Christianity in general around the world today, do we have that kind of faith, faithfulness, brotherly love, and just being set apart to God, where the world sees us in that way? That should be our goal, to be like Christ, to be the light in this world. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12 this morning, we find three ways in which we ought to live to please God. Three ways in which we ought to live to please God. The first way we'll look at in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12 will be found in the first seven verses in which we ought to live in maintaining moral purity. The second way in which we'll look this morning will be in verses Eight through uh, seven through nine, which is that we ought to live with love one for another, loving one another. And thirdly, we also, to please God, we also ought to live in an orderly manner. We ought to live in an orderly manner. The three ways in which we ought to please God is found in First Thessalonians three one through twelve. This morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the rain. But yet, Lord, we pray that you would keep people safe during their travels this morning, as well as uh, further south where there there is much more threat of the storms or damage that has already been done. I pray that you would help uh, people put their lives back together in those communities that have been most affected by the storm. I pray that Christians would be a light. And I know that so often they, Christians already have been a light to places like Haiti that have been devastated. And thank you for the testimony missionaries and churches can be to both believers and encouraging them and fellowshipping and being there for them and supporting them and also a testimony and a witness to those who are unsaved. And I pray that we would have that kind of testimony, that we would please you, Lord, as First Thessalonians seeks for us this morning pray that we would see these and apply these to our lives, to change our lives and grow in our walk with you, so that we would better please you with our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'll read through I'll read through the first I'll read through these twelve verses together first, and then we'll we'll look at these three points of how we ought to walk, how we ought to live to please God. First Thessalonians chapter four, starting at verse one. 
Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his body, how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touch therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, that ye may have lack, and that ye may have lack of nothing. So in this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12, we find at least three ways, three main ways, in which we should live to please God. And that first way is being sanctified, being set apart, specifically in the area of moral purity. Let's look at the first verses again. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. So, Paul is presenting commands here from Jesus, by the authority of Jesus. That as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk, in other words, how you ought to live, and to please God so you would abound more and more. Now remember, Paul had received a good report from Timothy about the Thessalonian church, but there are apparently some areas that they could use some encouragement in, that they could use some improvement in, as he wants them to abound more and more, and it, specifically in the area of sanctification, being set apart to God, and walking in such a way as to please God. And at the end of the passage, you will also see another purpose of walking to please God, which is in verse 12, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without. In other words, that we would have a good testimony to those who are not believers, those who are outside of our church. So we ought to please walk in such a way, live in such a way that we please God. That's first and foremost, but also that will help us to have a good testimony to non-believers. Verse 2, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. So when Paul had preached, remember this, this was a, a church that Paul had planted himself. 
And this is, again, the first epistle that Paul writes from what we understand of, of church history. And he's writing now to encourage them, to remind them that while he was there, he had taught them certain teachings of Jesus, commandments of Christ, on how they ought to live their lives to please God. And now he's reminding them of that and encouraging them to live according to those commands that Christ gave them. And this is especially important for the Thessalonians as this is a Gentile church primarily. And the Gentiles didn't have all the moral traditions that the Jews had. So some things that were common knowledge and common practice for the Jews as far as moral purity was not the case for a city like Thessalonica where um, immorality was, was a part of everyday life, as a part of the culture. There was all kinds of religious practices in Thessalonica and Macedonia in general that in, would involve immorality. And so Paul is encouraging them, reminding them of the importance of moral purity. He mentions abstinence is how we ought to walk. We see that in, even in, verse, in the first verse, in the first part. We beseech you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk. So he had already explained how they ought to walk, to please God. And the, and the goal of this sanctification is to please God and grow spiritually. You see that, to walk and please God so that you would abound more and more. Speaking of our, our spiritual walk with God, and our test, as well as our testimony. In verses 2 and 3, abiding in God's will for sanctification, being set apart, abstaining from fornication is part of our sanctification. Look at verse 2 again. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And there's two parts of sanctification that we'll see in this passage. There's the positive set side of sanctification being set aside to good works. And then there's also the, the negative, if you will, side of sanctification being abstaining from bad things, including, as specifically named here, um, sexual immorality, as mentioned um, here, fornication. It refers to any kind of immorality, not just adultery, but... Uh, prostitution, um, homosexuality, um, premarital relations, all of that is included in that word fornication. It's a general word for all of those things. So, And this goes back to something the Jerusalem church had, had made up its mind when it was looking at the church and how, in what ways, would the church be similar in its sanctification to the Old Testament nation of Israel, in what ways would it be different? What laws would they keep and what laws would they now be free from? For example, you know, the unclean animals. You know, that's something that was no longer required. Circumcision, many of the other Old Testament laws were something that were no longer required of the church. But two things the Jerusalem church had decided was that fornication needed to be avoided and also worshiping idols those two things should not be a part of a Christian's lifestyle, but rather we should be set apart to God in abstaining from those things. So Paul is reminding the Thessalonians of this because apparently 
You know, they needed that reminder that was part of the, the morality of their day was such a part of their culture that to those who became Christians, it might not be obvious that they're supposed to abstain from that. So he's reminding them of that necessity, that that is a command from God for us in the way we should live. Verse 5, not in the lust of... Con- Let's go back to verse 4. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. Vessel refers to one's body in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. In other words, there's a difference between how a person who does not know God and someone who does, and how they live, how they treat their body. And specifically in the area of morality, there are different requirements for us. Uh, God has those requirements going back to the beginning. And Romans 1 mentions this, how man has corrupted God's principles for marriage. And Paul is calling them to return to those principles here and setting ourselves aside to God and to obeying those principles, a principle of one, one man, one woman in marriage and abstaining from all other of that physical intimacy outside of marriage. And this really speaks also to self-control. And the lust of concupiscence. Lust refers to desire. Concupiscence refers to a longing. Um, another way could be um, the, another word, where, way to word that Phrase, lust of concupiscence, would be uh, gross gratification, um, giving in to our physical desires in a way that we should not, even as the Gentiles which know not God, Paul says. Verse 6, another purpose, another reason for this is that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. And Psalms refers to this, that God is the avenger of those who do evil. And so Paul is warning them, if you are disobeying in this way, then God is going to hold you accountable. So, so be aware that this is not okay. This type of moral impurity, immorality, that... It, that was practiced among the Gentiles was not okay for Christians. Paul is making that very clear here. And that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. Defraud refers to taking advantage of his brother um, in, a, in a way that where he is stealing something from a brother. And in a sense, you would say, you know, if someone is having a relationship outside of marriage, they're, they're cheating on their spouse or they're cheating on if the other person is married to someone or is going to get married to someone else. They're taking advantage of someone in a, in a way that they should not. They're stealing somebody from something that does not belong to them, is what this verse is referring to. And Paul is saying that should not be the case. Because the Lord, verse 6, in any matter, defraud not his matter in any matter. And in any matter, we're specifically here dealing with moral purity. That's the matter that's being spoken of. And of course, it extends to any other matter as well. We'll be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In the early centuries of the Christian faith, 
the gospel of Christ was spreading rapidly. Tertullian once made the statement, I think I mentioned in a previous week, about how the persecution actually helped the church in that uh, Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, meaning the testimony that the Christians had in that early, that early time, even in persecution, just spurred on the spread of the gospel. But another statement Tertullian made was also that how the secular world saw these early believers, and it was, behold how these Christians love one another. Behold how these Christians love each other. I believe that's a statement I heard in Sunday school this morning that Pastor Netzer used to use, is that he hoped that uh, the community would say, behold how much the members of Lakeshore Bible Church love each other. And that's, of course, what we would want our testimony to be today. And does our testimony as Christians today, or Christianity in general around the world today, do we have that kind of faith, faithfulness, brotherly love, and just being set apart to God, where the world sees us in that way? That should be our goal, to be like Christ, to be the light in this world, and in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12 this morning, we find three ways in which we ought to live to please God. Three ways in which we ought to live to please God. The first way we'll look at in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12 will be found in the first seven verses in which we ought to live in maintaining moral purity. The second way in which we'll look this morning will be in verses Eight through uh, seven through nine, which is that we ought to live with love one for another, loving one another. And thirdly, we also, to please God, we also ought to live in an orderly manner. We ought to live in an orderly manner. The three ways in which we ought to please God is found in First Thessalonians three one through twelve. This morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the rain. But yet, Lord, we pray that you would keep people safe during their travels this morning, as well as uh, further south where there, where there is much more threat of the storms or damage that has already been done. I pray that you would help uh, people put their lives back together in those communities that have been most affected by the storm. I pray that Christians would be a light, and I know that so often they, Christians already have been a light to places like Haiti that have been devastated. And thank you for the testimony missionaries and churches can be to both believers and encouraging them and fellowshipping and being there for them and supporting them and also a testimony and a witness to those who are unsaved. And I pray that we would have that kind of testimony, that we would please you, Lord, as First Thessalonians seeks for us this morning. Pray that we would see these and apply these to our lives, to change our lives and grow in our walk with you, so that we would better please you with our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'll read through I'll read through the first I'll read through these twelve verses together first, and then we'll we'll look at these three points of how we ought to walk, how we ought to live to please God. First Thessalonians chapter four, starting at verse one. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus 
that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his body, how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touch therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, that ye may have lack, and that ye may have lack of nothing. So in this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12, we find at least three ways, three main ways, in which we should live to please God. And that first way is being sanctified, being set apart, Specifically in the area of moral purity. Let's look at the first verses again. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. So, Paul is presenting commands here from Jesus, by the authority of Jesus. That as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk, in other words, how you ought to live, and to please God so you would abound more and more. Now remember, Paul had received a good report from Timothy about the Thessalonian church, but there are apparently some areas that they could use some encouragement in, that they could use some improvement in, as he wants them to abound more and more. And it, specifically in the area of sanctification, being set apart to God, and walking in such a way as to please God. And at the end of the passage, you will also see another purpose of walking to please God, which is in verse 12, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without. In other words, that we would have a good testimony to those who are not believers, those who are outside of our church. So we ought to please walk in such a way, live in such a way that we please God. That's first and foremost, but also that will help us to have a good testimony to non-believers. Verse 2, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. So when Paul had preached, remember this, this was a, a church that Paul had planted himself. And this is, again, the first epistle that Paul writes from what we understand of, of church history. And he's writing now to encourage them 
to remind them that while he was there, he had taught them certain teachings of Jesus, commandments of Christ, on how they ought to live their lives to please God. And now he's reminding them of that and encouraging them to live according to those commands that Christ gave them. And this is especially important for the Thessalonians as this is a Gentile church primarily. And the Gentiles didn't have all the moral traditions that the Jews had. So some things that were common knowledge and common practice for the Jews as far as moral purity was not the case for a city like Thessalonica where um, immorality was, was a part of everyday life, as a part of the culture. There was all kinds of religious practices in Thessalonica and Macedonia in general that would involve immorality. And so Paul is encouraging them, reminding them of the importance of moral purity. He mentions abstinence is how we ought to walk. We see that in, even in, verse, in the first verse, in the first part. We beseech you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk. So he had already explained how they ought to walk, to please God. And the, and the goal of this sanctification is to please God and grow spiritually. You see that to walk and please God so that you would abound more and more. Speaking of our, our spiritual walk with God, and our test, as well as our testimony. In verses 2 and 3, abiding in God's will for sanctification, being set apart, abstaining from fornication is part of our sanctification. Look at verse 2 again. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And there's two parts of sanctification that we'll see in this passage. There's the positive set side of sanctification being set aside to good works. And then there's also the, the negative, if you will, side of sanctification being abstaining from bad things, including, as specifically named here, um, sexual immorality, as mentioned um, here, fornication. refers to any kind of immorality, not just adultery, but... Uh, prostitution, um, homosexuality, um, premarital relations, all of that is included in that word fornication. It's a general word for all of those things. So, And this goes back to something the Jerusalem church had, had made up its mind when it was looking at the church and how, in what ways, would the church be similar in its sanctification to the Old Testament nation of Israel, in what ways would it be different? What laws would they keep and what laws would they now be free from? For example, you know, the unclean animals. You know, that's something that was no longer required. Circumcision, many of the other Old Testament laws were something that were no longer required of the church. But two things the Jerusalem church had decided was that fornication needed to be avoided and also worshiping idols would, those two things should not be a part of a Christian's lifestyle, but rather we should be set apart to God in abstaining from those things. So Paul is reminding the Thessalonians of this because apparently you know, they needed that reminder that was part of the immorality of their day was such a part of their culture that to those who became Christians it might not be obvious that they're supposed to abstain from that. So he's reminding them of that 
necessity, that that is a command from God for us in the way we should live. Verse 5, not in the lust of... Let's go back to verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. Vessel refers to one's body in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. In other words, there's a difference between how a person who does not know God and someone who does, and how they live, how they treat their body, and specifically in the area of morality, there are different requirements for us. Uh, God has those requirements going back to the beginning, and Romans 1 mentions this, how man has corrupted God's principles for marriage. And Paul is calling them to return to those principles here and setting ourselves aside to God and to obeying those principles, a principle of one, one man, one woman in marriage and abstaining from all other of that physical intimacy outside of marriage. And this really speaks also to self-control. And the lust of concupiscence. Lust refers to desire. Concupiscence refers to a longing. Um, another way could be um, the another word, where, way to word that phrase. Lust of concupiscence would be uh, gross gratification, um, giving in to our physical desires in a way that we should not, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Paul says. Verse 6, another purpose, another reason for this is that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. And Psalms refers to this, that God is the avenger of those who do evil. And so Paul is warning them, if you are disobeying in this way, then God is going to hold you accountable. So, so be aware that this is not okay. This type of moral impurity, immorality that, that was practiced among the Gentiles was not okay for Christians. Paul is making that very clear here. And that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. Defraud refers to taking advantage of his brother um, in, a, in a way that where he is stealing something from a brother. In, in a sense, you would say, you know, if someone is having a relationship outside of marriage, they're, they're cheating on their spouse or they're cheating on if the other person is married to someone or is going to get married to someone else. They're taking advantage of someone in a, in a way that they should not. They're stealing somebody from something that does not belong to them is what this verse is referring to. And Paul is saying that should not be the case. Because the Lord, verse 6, in any matter, defraud not his matter in any matter, and in any matter we're referring specifically here, dealing with moral purity. That's the matter that's being spoken of. And of course, it extends to any other matter as well. Because they're not rejecting man, but God. That, this, that word despiseth could be replaced by the word rejecteth. Uh, despise, reject. It's the same, the same word, same meaning. He that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, of course, should be working the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace in our life. 
including self-control. And so we are called to self-control in this area of our lives. That we're not supposed to give in to our desires the way verse 5 talks about, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. So we are called to being set apart, morally pure to God, knowing how to possess our body in self-control in a way that's set apart for good and for the purpose God designed. One man, one woman for life, or you know, being single and abstaining from physical intimacy as set apart to God. So that is the first way in which we are to live in a way that pleases God, is we are to live in moral purity. An illustration of this would be um, if you find, like, like I did this week, if you, find a, a, if you come into your house and find something that smells bad, you immediately start looking for what is the source of that smell, and you want to remove it. Um, and that we had that as the case in our house, some uh, smells coming from the laundry vent. It needs a new vent put in. And uh, so you want to get rid of that because it, it taints you know, the whole atmosphere of your home, that smell. And this moral impurity that Paul is speaking of is something that can taint our relationship with God, our being set apart to God, and also our testimony to others. And so Paul is calling for this purity, moral purity, set it apart. And uh, the, the desire, the lust that's spoken of in verse 5 could also be illustrated in other ways. For example, you know, if you have ever looked at a car that you really liked, but you could not afford, you could not afford to buy it. Um, what what do you do with that desire? Either you have to give up that desire for that vehicle, or it continues to eat at you. You have to fantasize about it all the time, or you know you have to ultimately you'd have to find a way to purchase or or steal that car. So that is, of course, stealing would be the wrong choice, but that's what moral impurity would be a picture of, is stealing in that way. And that's the kind of language he uses here with defrauding and the, the lust. Same, same type idea of looking at something else and, and wanting it to that level. And God should be ultimately our desire. And in our desire to please God, we need to be morally pure. That's the first way. The second way in which we ought to please God in the way we live is in loving one another. And apparently the, the Thessalonians were already a good example of this. Look at verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye have no need. You have you need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Apparently the persecution and suffering that the Thessalonian church was going through brought them closer together and they had a great love for one another. So they were already a good example of this. But this is another way in which we please God is by loving one another. When we get together, when we have fellowship, when we have unity amongst each other, when we treat each other well, God is pleased. You know, God tells us, um, that if we've done it to the least of one of these, my brethren, we've done it unto him. You know, we must love one another. And the Thessalonians already were a good example of that, Paul says. He's just reminding, perhaps even for our sakes today, looking back, 
how important it is to love one another. And it's very important for pleasing God, living in such a way that pleases God as well as has a good testimony to those who are unsaved, that we love one another, brotherly love, wherever we get the term Philadelphia, um, the city of brotherly love, um, brotherly love. You need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. So there's a contrast here between this love and that desire, the lust that was spoken of concerning the moral impurity. Unlike that moral impurity, we're supposed to have this genuine brotherly love in the way in which we live with one another. And despite that the Thessalonians do not need to be instructed further on this, Paul encourages them to abound more and more. In other words, you can never have too much love for one another. He says, you don't need me to tell you to love each other. You're already being a good example of that. But abound more and more. So you can never love too much. Keep loving one another. Keep being an encouragement to one another in that way. I notice the Holy Spirit's work in that. We're taught of God uh, to dwell, who dwells in us, to love one another. And we see the importance of, of love in 1 Corinthians 13, the uh, great chapter about the importance of love and how nothing else compares to the importance of loving one another. In fact, John refers to the fact that people will recognize in John chapter 13, the Gospel of John, people recognize we are his disciples by our love for one another. By our love. Not by even the holiness or the moral purity, but by our love primarily. This is uh, paramount to people recognizing that we are followers of Christ. So this is the second way in which we are to walk, the way in which we are to live in a way that pleases God. And the Thessalonians were doing that. They were being a good example of that for those in their region of the world, in Macedonia. Verse 10, And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And then the third way in which we are to walk, in which we are to live in such a way that pleases God, is to live in an orderly manner. We are to live in an orderly manner. Verses 11 and 12. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye have lack of nothing. And part of the reason Paul has to mention this, um, study, learn, work at it, is that apparently because Paul is about to share some more instructions in the, what we'll look at next week about the coming of Christ. Apparently, some of the Thessalonians were so excited about the return of Christ that they thought, as it might be even a temptation sometimes for us to think today, that Christ's return is so near that let's just quit work and uh, 
wait for him to return. He's returning any time. Uh, but Paul says, no, we need to be working. We need to be supporting ourselves, that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So Paul had given them that instruction while he's there, and now he's following up and reminding those who maybe think, well, I don't need to be working a job anymore because I'm a believer and because Christ is returning soon. But Paul reminds them they do need to be working with their hands as we commanded you. In verse 12, that you may walk honestly toward those them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. In other words, your own personal economy and would, would be affected negatively if you're not working for yourself. And you shouldn't have to rely on other people to support you, is the principle here. Study to be quiet, to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without. So we should have a good reputation. We shouldn't have people accusing us that you know, we're lazy, we're not supporting ourselves, and that you may have lack of nothing, so you won't have a lack. So you'll be able to provide for the things that you need through your work. So we ought to live in that orderly manner of working to provide for ourselves, even as we look forward to the return of Christ, that we are still working faithfully and diligently. So now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, we've seen three ways in which we're to live our lives in a way that pleases God and also brings honor to Him for the reputation, for the testimony of Christ and His church to those who are unsaved, to those who are outside the church. And those three ways in which we ought to live to please God and be a great testimony is that first of all, we should walk, we should live morally pure lives, sanctified, set apart to God to do good works, to love one another, and away from um, immorality. And so that second part, the second way in which we are to live in a way that pleases God is to love one another. And thirdly, we ought to live in an orderly manner. We ought to work at our own business um, with our own hands and walk honestly that we may have lack of nothing. Do people immediately recognize that you are a Christian by the way you live, by being separated from lifestyles that are common in our culture that are not acceptable to God morally? Are we separate from them in such a way, in those lifestyles, in such a way that we are sanctified, we're set apart to God, we please God in that way? And do people notice from how we love one another, especially other believers, and our family and friends, how we love one another, do people see that love, that Christian love that we have for one another? And are we being diligent in what our hands find to do in our vocation and in other areas of service for God, are we being diligent in having a good testimony so when people see us, they recognize that we are followers of Christ and that we are pleasing God with our lives. Let's constantly look for opportunities to show our love for one another, to work diligently, and let's be on guard to make sure that we are setting ourselves apart to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we